Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Draymond Green Show. Uh, man, this conference finals has been fun uh, to watch. Although, I must say, it's annoying to watch. Uh, and I will continue to remind you of that. Uh, but in saying that, um, as a basketball fan, uh, it's always fun to watch guys in, in, in the battle. You know, just trying to do what you can to put yourself in a better position to be the team that's moving on. And so we're going to break down this game. As you know, we're going to break down this series. We'll talk about both series. Uh, Really, really, really locked into this Nuggets-Lakers series. Uh, But I'm locked into both. We'll talk through both of them. Uh, But let's get right into it. The Nuggets take a 2-0 lead, uh, beating the Lakers 108-103 to in game two. A game that the Lakers pretty much dominated for majority of the game. Uh, if you are the Denver Nuggets, I saw uh, Coach Mo, Coach Malone, um, comments about being up one to zero, and everybody talking about the Lakers and how their adjustment has won them the series. And he said, "We're we're sitting here up one zero, and." Everybody's pretty much talking like we lost the series. And I'll tell you this. One of the worst things in the playoffs that can happen is when you blow a team out in game one and then you come back game two, like, it's always a natural letdown. That team that you blew off is pissed off. Blew out is pissed off. Um, you're naturally just going to relax just a little bit, and that's just enough to make game two really tough and game two really tough to, and not not only really tough, but makes it even tougher to win in an already tough environment to win in the playoffs. It's hard to win playoff games. Um, And that makes it a lot tougher. So when you leave game one, like the Nuggets did, where everyone's essentially talking about the Lakers as if they won game one, it allows you not to naturally relax. 
Now, in saying that, you look at the start of game two, and you say one of two things. Either you still relaxed, or the Lakers just came out with their adjustments that they made, uh, which we'll get into. Um, with the adjustments that they made, pissed off, they came out guns blazing. In fact, they did. How did that happen, though? How did So, as you all know, um, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Jared Vanderbilt went back into the starting lineup for Dennis Schroeder. Something that we spoke about a couple days ago that could possibly happen. Although I didn't think it would be Schroeder to come out of the lineup, I thought it would be D'Lo to come out of the lineup. They went Schroeder, um, and and that was that. Now, we also saw LeBron James guarding Joker a lot more than we did in game one. One thing that I noticed that the Lakers was doing is they went Rui, they went LeBron, they went AD. They did not give Joker a steady diet of anything. They gave him different looks. Uh, at some point, at times, Brian was just fronting with AD on the backside. At times, AD was guarded straight up. At times, they sent the double team. They did a bunch of different things. Now, you'd say, all right, logically, you should go back to the film and see which one of those worked, right? Which one of those were stifling Joker, which one of those were, what was, which coverage we were in when we were making our runs. Quite frankly, I think most of them worked. I actually think most of the coverages, most of the adjustments they made on Joker worked. I thought when they were sending the double team, and I'm going to get into a couple specific plays, but when they were sending the double team, I thought it was good. I thought they... They invited the first pass out. And so for those who don't understand, if if you go, we call it a fire, which is if Joker catches the ball on the post, the first wing, that guy fires, which means they go in the trap, Joker on the block, or right off the block where they were trapping him. Which then puts you into what we were describing last game, or what, what I was explaining last game, which is a full rotation. Next guy goes over, next guy rotates over. Guy who's leaving the trap, fires out to the weak side corner or to the man in the dunker. But most often than not, you're firing out to the weak side dunker because you want to keep either Braun or AD on that weak side dunker man, which is Aaron Gordon. Because if you if you fire out of the trap, which is usually a guard because the guard was the man rotating down on the trap, if, if you now rotate out of it, and that guy just rotates to Aaron Gordon in a dunker. Good luck. Aaron Gordon's offensive rebound and Aaron Gordon's dunking the basketball. So you actually need to keep Bron and AD in that spot for the for rebounding position. So that guard is then that guard then needs to get all the way out to the weak side corner. They were successful in in guarding that way. Uh, they didn't give up many back doors out of it. They didn't give up many shots out of it until they did. One play in particular. Um, it was at a very, very, it was at kind of a turning point in the game. And they fired. KCP was right there on the wing. They kick it out to KCP. Rotation doesn't get there fast enough. KCP hits a three. That takes the lead from 42 to 35. 
it, it makes the lead 42-35. Takes the score from to 42-35. The significance of that, and so, as I told you all, when, for me, I like to educate on the game of basketball. And so one thing that I understand people don't realize is how to actually watch a game and how to watch film. And so when I'm watching film, when I'm watching the game, I'm also looking at turning points. And a big turning point in the game was the LeBron mishap on the dunk because that takes, a, that takes an eight-point lead to a 10-point lead. You get a timeout there everything's rolling, right? Bron bobbles the ball. Ball goes out of bounds at that time. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was 40 to 32. And ball goes out of bounds. Nuggets come back down. They don't score. Lakers come down, don't score. Back, don't score. Nuggets, Lakers come back down, and they score. But the rhythm is off. Like, it's no longer, the game's no longer flowing like it was flowing leading up to that. And then you get the Joker, you get the Joker kick out three from KCP. Now that gets KCP going because if you remember, KCP had two quick fouls, didn't have a rhythm. Now you get the other guys going. See, initially, Joker was scoring, but he weren't getting any assists. And remember, we spoke about this. Joker not having assists, that is the key. At one point in the game, he had 12, 2, and 2, and the Lakers were dominating. Then he had 14, 2, and 2. Lakers were dominating. And so now the game stops, the flow stops, and that turns to the advantage at that time of the, of, to the Denver Nuggets. 40, 20, 42 to 35, that happens. And then they, they, they start to walk the Lakers down. Now... They were doing a great job of keeping all the other guys out and taking Joker's passing away. And towards the end of the third quarter, end of the second quarter, I'd say maybe about five, six minutes to go, the Nuggets started to create transition opportunities. And once they started to create transition opportunities, that then opened the game up for Joker. Now all of a sudden he's getting assists in transition. The assist total goes from two to five really quick. And now you're playing a totally different ball game. So now they, get, they start to get out in transition, and they start to make plays in transition. Joker's gotten loose. Good luck from there. Now, another thing happened, and Denver Nuggets, you may want to talk to your ball boy about this. I'm just watching the game. And they're getting out in transition. It's two minutes to go in the half, right around two minutes, maybe a little under two minutes. And the ball goes out of bounds. The ball boy stops the game by walking over there and wiping up sweat off the floor. So the referee has to pause. And at this time, the Denver Nuggets has taken control of the game. What that allowed to happen is, if you all don't know, Joker runs to the referee. He gets the ball out fast. If nobody's looking, he's going to throw a long pass for a home run layup. If not, still get the ball out fast and you can push the pace because the defense is walking back. They're not set. You push the pace. Now they're like, oh, oh, we got to play defense. And now it's essentially just like you're in transition playing against a scrambling defense, which is how they had started taking control of the game in transition. Lakers transition defense has been bad all year. Um, 
first team, their second team. Transition defense has been bad. They were number one defense after the All-Star break with the new team, the new roster. They were still 25th in transition defense. So that has been an area of concern for the Lakers all year, and it's showing up in a major way in this series. As it's shown up at times in previous two series, it's really showing up in these first two games of this series. Plus, you got altitude. Let's not forget about that. So now they end up playing against a set defense, and they have to start making their run. In making their run, the guy stops the game. They come down. They don't score. Lakers then score to make it 51-48. to 48. Got another stop on a joker miss. Lakers come down, doesn't score. Nuggets come down, don't score again. Rui then makes it 53 to 48. They scored on a couple free throws. Those are run breakers. And so I hope they can identify that the guy who actually broke their run up was their ball boy going out to wipe the sweat up off the floor. Hey, my man, when the game goes down the court, then you come out and wipe that up. The, the, the game's going down the floor. It's one thing if they're standing on that, they're standing on that side of the floor, then yes, safety, of course. But they're about to take off down the floor. Let them take off, then go wipe that up so they can get their transition opportunity. That really stopped the game because Joker had three assists during that two, three-minute span, and they all were coming off transition. And, and he had one off the cut where he caught it in the post. He lobbed it up to Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown made an incredible catch and incredible finish. But other than that, everything was coming out of transition for them. And, and even a couple plays where he didn't get the assist, but the hockey assist, for those that don't know what the hockey assist is, that's I pass it to Steph, Steph pass it to Clay. I hit Steph, he hits Clay. I don't get an assist for that. Steph's getting an assist, but in hockey, both guys get the assist. So we call that the hockey assist. So he had a couple hockey assists during that stretch as well that won't quite show up in the stat sheet. But that really stopped their run going into the break, gave the Lakers some going into the break. And now you come out of the break if you're the Nuggets and you're like, all right, we made our run. And it's one thing when you make that run, if they're able to take that from 49 to 48 to, to 50 to 49, when you make that run and you don't end up ahead, that's like a, if you're in a boxing match, that's just like a, Another jab, right? To slow the guy down. Another jab. And you're like, man, I just put a good combo together. God, keep hitting me with a jab to slow me down. That's a jab in the heavyweight fight as we're watching the heavyweight fight. It's a jab. The, the jab kept working. And so that slows them down going into the half. They come out of the half. Doesn't play great in the third quarter either. And they eventually figures it out in the fourth. Another key moment that I, I thought in the, in, in the game, uh, in this segment as well, is, is Bron, they were up 10. The Lakers were up 10, and Bron was at the scores table. By the time Bron was able to check in, they were up two, and, and Darvin Ham had to take a timeout. And I thought that was really important because, as I've told you all, I think Bron has to really control this series dominating the basketball, getting them into the things that they want to because Denver has a good defense, but they also have a, good, a couple holes on their defense that you can't exploit if you get guys in the right position. And Bron being caught at the scores table from where the lead was 10 points all the way down to it was two, the entire momentum of the game changed. And I thought that was a really key moment. Denver goes on the 8-0 run. 
and that really allowed um, the Nuggets to get their fi- get their get their footing, uh, allowed them to change the game, allowed them to get out in transition, and now they're rolling. So you end the game with Joker with 23, 17, and 12 assists. Didn't quite get 30, but he got 12 assists. So in turn, you ends up you end up allowing all the other guys to get going. Now, what ultimately ended up winning the, the Nuggets the game was Jamal Murray's performance in the fourth quarter. Jamal Murray had 23 of his 37 points in the fourth quarter and totally took the game over. Uh, he was five for six from three in the fourth quarter. Lakers scored 24 points in the fourth quarter. Jamal Murray had 23 points in the fourth quarter. And if you watch it, all of the buckets really came on switches. They're switching. Jamal Murray's getting to his shot. He had a couple buckets on AD. He had a couple buckets on Bron, which goes back to my theory. This is a Jared Vanderbilt series. Jared Vanderbilt has to play minutes. And I know the thing is going to be, oh, but they need a shooting on the floor. But Jared Vanderbilt has never provided you shooting. So it's almost like, oh, man, the other guys are struggling with shooting the basketball. We need to get more shooting on the floor. But your guys who shoot for you are struggling to shoot basketball. There's not really anyone else on your roster that's changing that. Maybe you go Malik Beasley. I don't know. Um, Austin Reeves has been shooting the lights out. But guys have really been struggling to shoot for them all, all postseason long. Like, this isn't like... Some, oh, man, they just went cold. For the most part, with the exception of maybe two, three games, they've been cold from three. They're not a great three-point shooting team. That's just not their strength. So to all of a sudden go, oh, man, we need to get more shooting, Denver hasn't necessarily shown the ability to really stop you from getting to the rim. They haven't really shown that ability. So... I'm not sure if what everybody is making of the shooting is the actual thing. Again, the Denver Nuggets have been rolling with Aaron Gordon, who hasn't provided any shooting at all. Now, you can say, oh, yeah, but Jamal Murray was hitting shots and other guys were hitting shots. Yeah, but they're still giving you a guy to help off of to cover all of that and to take some of those shots away. So maybe it's not the shooting. And maybe it's Jared Vanderbilt you need in there to take Jamal Murray away to take Jamal Murray out the game because guess what? He had a very tough first quarter. He had a very rough first half. Jared Vanderbilt played more in the first quarter in the first half. So I actually think this is a Vanderbilt series. And I think Dennis Schroeder has been very important for this team. Um, Jamal Murray may not be the matchup for Dennis Schroeder. I still think Dennis Schroeder can affect um, I still think Dennis Schroeder can affect their, their defensive outcome. For instance, say if, if I got Jared Vanderbilt on the floor and he's guarding Jamal Murray and I got Dennis Schroeder on the floor, say he's guarding KCP. He's going to get underneath KCP. It doesn't allow KCP to put the ball on the floor at all because Dennis Schroeder is a really good defender. And if your handle isn't absolutely incredible, he's going to get to some of that. So you take... KCP coming out of the corner downhill to his right hand, you kind of take that away. Michael Porter Jr. doesn't really take advantage of his size and mismatches. He may go to the mid post, but if he goes to the mid post and you crowd the paint, 
then he's taking tough shots, which I'd prefer to Michael Porter take tough shots and some of the things that they've been getting to. Um, so you could put Dennis Schroeder there as well. I'm not saying you need to take Dennis Schroeder at the lineup or uh, lessen his minutes because I think that would be the wrong thing to do. Um, but I do think you have, like, it's absolutely necessary that Jared Vanderbilt plays more minutes. That is what will allow them to better guard Jamal Murray. That's two games in a row now. Jamal Murray's had 30 points. He's, he, he's got to be a priority. Has to be a priority. And, and I mean, if he's not a priority, he's now shown you that two times in two nights, he can beat you. AD didn't have a great game. Uh, I thought he played a really good game, really good floor game. Um, Stats can't always be measured by scoring. Finished the game 18, four, 18 points, 14 rebounds on 4 for 15 shooting. Why it's very important for AD to have good games, but not even so much have good games, but be extremely aggressive. His joker is his matchup. You have to make him work on both, both sides of the floor. The Lakers are capable of doing that because they have AD. Um, AD didn't play a very good game or a very aggressive game, I should say. Because like I said, I thought he played a, a good game. But he he wasn't extremely aggressive on the offensive end, which allows Joker to sit back, which allows him to get a little more rest. Um, it doesn't put as much pressure on him. as that doesn't put as much pressure on their defense. And so I thought the Lakers needed a much more aggressive AD. Uh, they're going to continue to need a much more aggressive AD, uh, not only to make Joker defend, but I also don't think they have the team to where AD can't be aggressive and they can still win. Now, you can say, hey, they were winning the entire game and Jamal Murray got going. And yes, that's a fact. But if you have Anthony Davis being extremely aggressive and you are winning the entire game, all of a sudden your lead isn't two the whole game. It isn't four the whole game. Yeah, you get it to 10 and it goes right back down. Now you start to extend that lead because AD is playing aggressive. You put it a little, little more out of reach. Uh, you make it a little tougher for them to make a comeback. So I thought they needed a much more aggressive uh, AD, and they're going to continue to need that down, uh, as this series goes on. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. 
listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Let's get into a couple things that happened during the game. The D'Angelo Russell flagrant foul I thought was extremely soft. he goes up to block the shot. This is the playoffs. Um, like, flagrant foul? And then everybody say, oh, man, the NBA is soft. And as I've told you all before, I, I agree. Uh, but we blame it on players. We say, oh, man, these guys are soft. That. And we blame it on players. No, no player did 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 anything for that flagrant foul. Quite frankly, I don't think the player who was given a flagrant foul should have been given a flagrant foul. Um, but that doesn't make players soft. The rules are a lot softer. But I can't necessarily say, oh man, guys are softer because they caught a flagrant foul. So, like, if that's a flagrant foul, like, is that what we're selling? Or, like, do we need to go revisit these flagrant foul rules? Which, quite frankly, I'm in favor of. Like, let's, let's revisit these flagrant foul rules. Because I just cannot agree that that's a flagrant foul. Like, how do you, like, or, like do you softly foul and give up a layup? Or do you make sure you don't give up the three-point play? And so, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't too thrilled uh, with the flagrant foul, as you can see by my tweet. It's soft. That is soft, soft, very soft flagrant foul. Um, Can we be better with that? Like, again, I'm watching the game as a fan right now. I'm not watching as a player. I'm watching as a fan right now. I I don't know if that's what I'm paying my cable bill to see. I don't really pay cable bill to watch movies. I pay cable bill to watch sports. I'm not sure that's what I'm paying to see. Like, come on. Like, it's the playoffs. It's supposed to be harder. It's supposed to be tougher. I don't know. Maybe you all think differently, and maybe that's why I always end up with a bunch of flagrant foul points. But I am just not rolling that that's a flagrant foul. I can't roll with that. And going into game three, uh, a couple things that I think both teams need to do differently. Um, I think the Lakers, as I've told you, need to play more Jared Vanderbilt. I also think the Lakers need to get into more screen and roll. Uh, the way, the way, the, the way that Denver is guarding the screen and roll is they're sitting in the middle and they're pulling over like extremely hard, which is actually the way we started off the series. They're pulling over extremely hard, 
forcing you to make this, the the advanced pass, and they're, they're getting the late contest on the shooters. However, I think one adjustment for the Lakers would be to move that pick and roll over a little bit more, like move it down the floor a little bit more so it's a lower angle pick and roll as opposed to the high angle pick and roll that they're getting. They're going to need D'Angelo Russell to play better. To, and in particular, to take that away, like to, to, to that coverage. D'Angelo Russell is the guy that they have on their roster that can make shots out of the pick and roll against that coverage. Dennis Schroeder can also get downhill more. I didn't think Dennis Schroeder was aggressive enough offensively, and I think they're going to need him to be more aggressive out of that pick and roll to, to keep that defense honest. I also think that will allow them to get downhill more and take advantage of the, the lack of rim protection that the Denver Nuggets do not have. <clears throat> there was a time where I thought they also needed to go more AD and LeBron pick and roll. Uh, if you go AD, LeBron pick and roll, tight pick and roll on one side of the floor, that puts Joker in a tough situation because now you got Bron coming downhill. If he helps, you got AD on a drop off. AD can either get all the way to the rim or shoot his little floater. You put Austin Reeves in the slot so that guy can't pull all the way over and help. Austin Reeves is shooting the light side of the ball. If I put Austin Reeves in the slot, if that guy pulls all the way over to help, I'm hitting Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves has been knocking it down. What that also does is that put Michael Porter Jr. back where? As the bottom low man rotating over on a driving LeBron James or a, a diving Anthony Davis. Now you're allowed to manipulate their defense a little bit more. You're able to get the pieces where you want the pieces in order to allow you the highest level of success. And so I think they needed to go more that. And again, that goes along with the theory that LeBron James has to have the ball in his hands in order for them to win this series. The reason and the, mo the most important reason that it is vital that LeBron James has the ball in his hands uh, throughout this series is because Joker has the ball in his hands the entire series. Joker doesn't have it. Jamal Murray's making the decision. But more often than not, Joker has it. Which means, as if LeBron James has the ball all the time, outside of the pick and roll that I think they can take advantage of at, at times, now you got the chess match. Joker versus LeBron. Which is needed because that's what they're doing. Lakers, you have a guy who's made an entire career out of doing that thing. You need it more than ever right now because that's all they're doing. They're giving the ball to their, their MVP they're allowing him to make plays. You need to allow LeBron James to make plays, to manipulate that defense, seize the court differently than most, um, if not all, most, with the exception of a few. It would be all, the exception of a few people. Um, you need that. So you're back at home, a little different, no altitude. I expect to see 40 minutes from LeBron, 40-plus minutes. 40-plus minutes from AD, and I think they need to take advantage of that pick and roll with LeBron James and AD. Put Joker in a tough spot. You possibly get him in foul trouble. That possibly changed the game for the Lakers. I think that's going to be very important for them. And if I am the Denver Nuggets, if they go, if they go LeBron on Joker, which the Lakers did, and I thought it was very successful, 
I'm going to put LeBron in more pick-and-roll actions, making him have to guard the pick-and-roll as a big because he's never guarded the pick-and-roll as a big. It's very uncomfortable. He's doing a good job of it when he has to do it. But it's a very uncomfortable space, and if we just go at that, go at that, go at that, can we get LeBron to make mistakes? And can we put AD in a tough position on the backside? Now I have Joker in the pocket. I have Aaron Gordon on the backside. Can we put AD in a position to make some mistakes? Can Joker use his floater? Can he get some passes in space? I think that helps. I think they're also going to need to continue to or run Aaron Gordon in more pick and rolls because they clearly need him on the defensive side of the floor. So they can't really afford to take him off the floor. So how can you use that against him? Spacing for the Lakers from a defensive perspective, offensive perspective, they need to, uh, the Nuggets need to bring uh, Aaron Gordon into more pick and rolls. We'll see if they do. Ultimately, I got the Lakers coming home, winning game three, making this a 2-1 series. And we'll talk about game four when it's time to talk about game four after we check out what happens in game three and we have a better understanding of what's going on there. And moving on, the Nuggets, uh, excuse me, the Celtics versus the Heat. Uh, the Heat are up 1-0 on the Celtics uh, with a 123-116 to win on Wednesday. Why did Boston collapse in the second half, uh, which has been a thing for the Boston Celtics? Um, quite frankly, I think the Boston Celtics offense stops way too often. Like, the ball stops, becomes much easier to guard, and that's been causing a bunch of problems for them, not only this series. It's been, it's been a problem, really, for the last year and a half. Um, it's one of the reasons they weren't able to win a championship last year. Um, the ball stops. And when the ball stops against a team like the Miami Heat, that's what they do. They muddy things up. The ball stops. They load up. They're boxes and elbows. And now you're taking tough shots. You miss a couple of those tough shots. And the Miami Heat come down. They hit a couple threes. Max Struess hit a three. Uh, Kevin Love hits a three. And now the game starts to turn. At some point, I do also ask the question, when is the Miami Heat going to allow, uh, excuse me, when is the Boston Celtics going to stop? Jimmy Butler from going to his right hand. Jimmy Butler will go all the way from the left side of the floor and somehow end up in the right corner shooting a mid-range jumper. And I just cannot understand for the life of me how they just keep letting him get to his right hand. He's going right. He's getting to his right hand. He's very good at it. Very tough to stop. But at some point, you have to stop it. Like, he's getting to his right hand, and he's dominating. I thought Bam Adebayo stepped up. Uh, Bam came out super aggressive. And with him coming out super aggressive like that, I think it's very important because with the Boston Celtics now starting Robert Williams, they're starting him so he can roam. They're starting him so he can muck up the, muck up the floor, uh, make it tougher for the Miami Heat to score. With Bam starting the game as, uh, and being aggressive as he is, it keeps Robert Williams committed to him. And also, all of a sudden, he can't roam. It's also wearing him down. Remember, Robert Williams is not in peak condition. He has not uh, played a ton of games this year. He hasn't played a ton of minutes this year in hopes that once you get to the playoffs, 
you can rely on him more. And as we know, he's had the knee issue. He's been dealing with the knee issue. So over the course of time, that wears, them, wears him down. And I think sure enough, when you look at the second half of the game, it was a much less active Robert Williams on both sides of the ball. He was very active on the offensive side of the ball, offensive rebounds, dives, lobs in the first half. Second half, not so active. And I think the Miami Heat wore him down with a very aggressive Bam out of Bayou. And I think it's extremely important that in this series, Bam continues to be aggressive because if he doesn't, it's going to allow Robert Williams to really muck up the floor uh, versus the Miami Heat offense, which hurts you because Jimmy Butler lives in the area where he'd be mucking up at. And if Jimmy's li- if, if you take that away from Jimmy, it's going to make it a lot tougher for the Miami Heat to score the basketball. So I think it's very important. that That's where your offense is helping your defense, and I think Bam is doing a, a really good job of helping the Miami's defense with his offensive play. It's slowing the game down. It's not allowing Boston to get out in transition. Now, Boston went to Rob Williams starting, and I think that was great for the last game or last series. Robert Williams starting, although he got off to a really good start, I think the adjustment that Boston is going to need to make this series is I think they're going to need to start Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon has been playing extremely well, and I think inserting him into the lineup, Malcolm Brogdon catches, he drives. If not, he moves it. If not, he's shooting it. He makes very quick decisions. And so adding a guy to the lineup that makes very quick decisions is going to help the flow of their offense. In turn, I think that helps Jason Tatum. In turn, I think that helps Jalen Brown. In turn, I think you get more catch-and-shoot situations from Al Horford, open catch-and-shoots, and he's been shooting a lot of them really fast. I think you get more open catch-and-shoots because Malcolm Brogdon is what? Malcolm Brogdon is a fence bender. Malcolm Brogdon puts pressure on your defense. He bends that fence. He bends it. And now you have the Miami Heat. So you use the Miami Heat. You use what they're great at against them. They swarm the ball. So if Malcolm Brogdon can swarm and he can make plays, which he can, he drives the paint, he gets the swarm, he makes plays, he's now kicking out to those shooters. Your offense keeps moving. It's going to be very important that Boston moves the Miami Heat defense and their offense keeps moving or else Miami will muck the game up. Miami will win this series if Boston cannot get more movement into their offense because you're playing right into the hands of the Miami Heat. And as long as you play into their hands, they're going to beat you because that's what they do. So that's going to be a very important one. Another thing is how are the Miami Heat keeping this run going? And, and I think there's, there's two answers to, their, to that question. Jimmy Butler and Miami Heat culture. Those are the two answers to that question. Eric Spolster's been incredible. That falls under heat culture, right? So I'm not taking anything away from Eric Spolcher. He's Spolcher's, He's been great. But their culture, guys being ready to go, guys stepping out there, every guy who comes on the floor, they don't, make, they don't have effort-related mistakes. And right now, 
That's more important than ever. You are not allowed to make effort-related mistakes with the Miami Heat. Max Struess is playing good basketball. Gabe Vincent is playing good basketball. Um, Cody Martin is playing good basketball. Could be Caleb Martin. Whichever Martin, I'm sorry. I mean no disrespect. They're twins. Uh, I get confused. Caleb Martin, I get confused. I do apologize about that. But he's playing good basketball. Kyle Lowry off the bench is playing incredible basketball. Kevin Love in the starting lineup is playing good basketball. So if they can't get if, – if the, if the Boston Celtics do not get their offense moving, they will lose this series. They have to stop playing into right into the Miami Heat's hand. Stop the ball. As long as you stop the ball, won't work. Now, I'm sorry, Jackson. I know Jackson don't want to hear that. Um, but, you know, as far as the Boston Celtics will lose if they don't start moving the basketball. But uh, Shams reported that the Warriors – that there has been no significant extension talks as of late and the Warriors are bracing and Bob Myers are bracing to for a separation. I tweeted, that sucks. Um, that does suck uh, because, again, as I told you all, Bob is one of the guys that I rolled in with, um, that I've been on this journey with for 11 years, and we've all been plugging away each and every year to try to um, deliver championships. What's what makes us go. That's what we're all in it for. And so to know that there's a possibility that he may not be here uh, does not sit well with me. Um, it's frustrating. Uh, number one, most importantly, uh, I've built a friendship, a relationship with Bob Myers that even if he is gone, when I'm gone, uh, it's both of us no longer here, Steph no longer here, like those days will come once upon a time at some point because you can't play basketball forever, that relationship will still be like this. Uh, that is a relationship that I've built that will last for the rest of my life, someone I confide in, someone I trust. And so to know that, like, he may not be here, like, that sucks. That hurts because I've appreciated going to work with him um, every day for the last 11 years and the things that he's taught me. Um I think in life, we all need people who hold us accountable. And he holds me accountable at a totally different standard. And he don't hold me accountable like, oh, I'm the general manager of the team. Like, that's trash. He holds me accountable as a man. He holds me accountable as a leader. He holds me accountable from a friendship standpoint. And I couldn't, I couldn't be more thankful. And I think in life, it's so important to have friends that are willing to hold you accountable that are willing to tell you that your shit stinks. And Bob, if, if your shit stinks, Bob is one of those guys that he don't know how to lie. Like, he'll be like, ah. Like, he'll come into a conversation, like, trying to figure out how to, like, say this to you without just bourbon, like, the truth in your face. And before you know it, it's just like, blah. Like, there's the truth for you, and you deal with it how you deal with it. But one thing you do is you respect it because he's just going to give you the truth no matter what. And for me, in my life, that's so huge. You know, we all get in these positions. Like, when we get in the positions that we're in, you run out of people that's willing to tell you the truth. Because how, how may that affect them? Like, it may affect what you're doing for them. It may affect, like, it can affect. And so you start to run out of people that are willing to tell you the truth. And for me, in my life, he's been one of those people that I have to, that will tell me the truth in any situation. 
but yet almost like a almost like a parent figure and like, yep, that's the truth. And here's where you fucked up at. Now here's how we're gonna change it. Here's how we fix it. And by the way, I'm in this with you. I'm walking through it with you. And here's here's our plan. Here's what we're doing. Here's how you can be better. Not like, oh, you messed that up. You're out of here. Get out of my face. Like, no, here's now. That's where you went wrong. Maybe you could have done that this way. Next time you can do that this way. Here's how we get better. And so I'm so appreciative of him. So to see that news, it's not any news that, like, I didn't know, you know? Like, I knew that that's a possibility. He doesn't, he has not signed a contract extension, and his contract is up in two weeks. So I know that's a possibility, or a month, or whatever it is. I know it's a possibility. Like, I've known that all year. But it's like, if someone has an illness, if they then go on and not survive, it doesn't make the blow less because you knew they had an illness. Like, you're still hurt that you no longer had that person. So just because I've known this, doesn't make the blow less if that was to happen. And then you start seeing that, like, come out. Like, it doesn't make it less of a blow. Because you you may lose one of your guys that's been in it with you. The ups, the downs. It's been in it. So that sucks. And quite frankly, I hope something has worked out and Bob is back next year. I also hope I'm back next year. But that's a whole nother story for another day. Until next time, that's a wrap from this episode of the Draymond Green Show. Peace. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.